It's midday, it's Fab Radio International, and this is Nympha Hayes for the bookworm, together with... Hi, I'm Del today. Well, I'm not Del today. <laughs> I'm no, Del, you're, and I'm you're Del normally every day. Yeah. <laughs> but today in particular, but you're today here. Today in particular, I'm here, and I'm Del. <laughs> Good start. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's going well. So you're listening to the bookworm. Uh, today it's Girls' Day. Woo-hoo! <laughs> the cat is out. The mice are playing. <laughs> Where is that? You ask. We don't know. He probably got lost on his way into the TARDIS. We may have locked him in the cupboard. Maybe. Maybe he's having a cup of tea with R. A. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> you will never know. And anyway. Neither we will. Yeah, well, no, we, we know it's very a, little secret, anyway. It's a secret for all. <laughs> so, coming up today, we'll have, as always, a lot of book news. A lot of book news. A lot of, a book, lot of book news. Like, yeah, all of it. It's a word season. Like, like <laughs> it's just hit us in the face. Um, we'll have uh, my review of Hexed by Michael Allen Nelson. Uh, and today I'm talking about The Magician's Guild by Trudy Canavan. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Do, so do you want to do it? <laughs> It's fine. I'll just pipe up and ask intelligent questions and squee. Oh, fantastic. That will be my part today. Uh, Not only, we also have a fantastic interview with Joe Abercrombie. Mm. Ooh, just received two awards for the Locust Awards. So, yes, all of the glitz, all of the glamour today on the bookwork. Across the world, 24 hours a day, this is Radio International. And we are back. This is the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. For those of you who don't know, uh, you can tweet us, you can Facebook us, you can tumble us, you can owl us, like send ravens, whatever you like. We are Radio Bookworm on Twitter, Radio Bookworm on Facebook and on Tumblr. Uh, and we do love messages. We love likes. We love we love comments. We just love it. We love likes. We love likes. <laughs> we love likes. We also likes. love lives. <laughs> We love a lot of things. What we also really, really love is our words. I mean, it's not like we have one, although we we kind of do, don't we? We, we are, Ish. we are, we are. Uh, uh, we won one for the Fab Radio International Awards. So. We did, Yay! we did certificate winning radio, certificate winning radio. Winning radio. Yeah. Whoa! But as we were saying before, it is award season. It's crazy time award season. Wow! Why Everything. is that? In any industry, all the awards lump together. I don't know. Mm. Maybe it's so that you don't lose the hype. Man. Or or because some people are like, we don't want them to talk about something we don't get to talk about. To be fair, I mean, looking at when they're positioned, at least for the books, it's like the summer. It's when people go on holiday. And what do you do when you go on holiday? You take a good book. And that award-winning book that you've just heard about. I might just that's be. the thing though holiday reading you don't always take a good book do you, you take a book <laughs> I you do can, you know I think like, I, I'm quite careful about the way I select but a lot of people just want something they can lose themselves in a little bit I kind of maybe maybe that's what it is I don't think that's the people that listen to our show though <laughs> no but just but it's still like I don't I, I, yeah, I don't know. Nah. Should we, have, should we, should we actually talk about the news? Yeah, nah. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's just talk about the fact so, that the seasons are weird. I know, <laughs> seasons weird. So, the Kitches have announced opening for submissions for books published in the UK in 2015. Uh, that goes obviously from the 1st of January to the 31st of December 2015, which means that things like advanced reader copies are also accepted as long as mm-hmm. the book is physically published before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of um, hype. I mean, big names that have won the kitchens before, like China Mierville, Karen Lord, Ruth Ozeki, Cameron Heard. 
Lee, which we love. So um, winners will receive prize money as well as one of the prizes, icon- iconic handcrafted tentacle trophies. There are five trophies in total. The red tentacle is for novels. The golden tentacle is for debut authors. The inky tentacle, that sounds amazing, is for cover art. Yes, you guessed it. Uh, the invisible tentacle is for <laughs> natively digital works. And the black tentacle is for special achievement award. Uh, so that's coming up. And um, you can vote. Well, publishers can uh, submit the work up until midnight on November the 1st, 2015. New Hugo Award category proposed. proposed. What's this? More things about the Hugos? Never. Never. We so never talk this? about the Hugos. No, no never. Ever. No, no, this, this, like this is all very new. I'm, I'm sure everyone's really excited. Uh, award for best series. Um, this would cover works of science fiction or, or fantasy uh, presented as a single series with a unifying plot, characters or setting, appearing in at least three volumes consisting of a total of at least 240,000 words uh, by close of the previous calendar year uh, at least one of which was published in the previous calendar year so it doesn't matter if the other two came up ten years ago as long as there is a third, fourth fifth, sixth um, This is to deal with the wheel of time thing isn't it? Absolutely, they're, they're <laughs> patching it up Posthumously. <laughs> Posthumously. Yes, nice. after he died. And, and presu- presumably, yeah. presumably at some future point, uh, Game of Thrones, the Oh, they're opening it up yeah. for all of those. Wo- I mean, I can understand why you would do it, but at the same time, it's like how many books that are part or first in a series have already won it. So, mm, mm. I don't know. We'll see. It's exciting anyways. You know, it's nice to see um, sort of those authors that, that work on... on sort of thousands and thousands and thousands of words uh, to tell a massive story in, in a world and yeah, yeah it's, it's a nice recognition it, it, it happens quite a lot doesn't it in, in, in a lot of various award ceremonies things like film film series um, Do they don't they don't and but they don't recognize the first ones because the last one is the one that will like like if you think um, the Harry Potter Return things of, yeah Return of the King pretty much swept Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the um, Golden Globes and, and the Oscars I can't really remember how it did with the BAFTAs but I don't think it did too badly no. um, and yet the first two got no recognition yeah. and yet that's and to, but to an extent that's actually quite a shame I think if a film deserves recognition right. it deserves recognition you don't yeah. just go well we'll wait until they've done the last one yeah. um, it's very true so no I think it, it, it there's deserves- some sense being made there mm-hmm. and we don't let's be honest that, that's not been the general message we've taken away from any of our Hugo discussions <laughs> oh that makes sense there is good there is also good folk it's not all bad um, voting now open for the Chesley Awards so the Association of Science Fiction and Fantasy Artists have announced the sh- its shortlist for 2015 Chesley Awards voting is now open to members of the ASFF a uh, three categories for best cover illustration hardback paperback and magazine as well as a wide variety of other awards including best three-dimensional art and best art director the winners will be announced during sasquan the 73rd world science fiction convention and um the uh, 2015 my award <laughs> finalists dear lord uh, have been announced as well so you have Fantasy Award for Adult Literature, Children's Literature, uh, Award in Inklings to um, Studies, and Myth and Fantasy Studies. There's a lot of names there. I'm just going to sort of quickly swept through. There's John um, Harris. So Inkling Studies Inkling Studies appears to be what do you know about Tolkien or C.S. Lewis? Pretty much. <laughs> uh, um, and, um, There's an entire um, category for that? And, and or Williams. Uh, so it's, it's not just two, there's three of oh, them. Oh, there's three of them. There's so for this award, uh, books first published during the last three years between 2012 and sort of 2014-15 are eligible, including finalists for previous years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, so th- as I said, lots of names. Lots of names. So The Gospel of Loki by Joanne Harris, um, Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez, Lock and Key series, Sarah Avery, Tales from Ragosa Coven, um, Jonathan Oxier, The Night Gardener, Dana Wynne Jones and mm. Ursula Jones, The Islands of Chaldea, uh, Robin Lefebvre's 
um, is that how you pronounce it? Oh God, oh, Lefevers. Yes, uh, Christopher and Tolkien Beowulf, which I have, oh. and I really, really, oh, really looking forward to reading that. It's translation and commentary based on notes that Tolkien left. So he's oh. collected everything and put it together. Um, it looks amazing, uh, but quite thick. A really interesting insight as well. Absolutely. Like that's that's let's be honest. If it's a if you want to hear a, the comments on a very old story from someone who you love in fantasy, it's just Tolkien. It'll isn't be it? Tolkien, absolutely. So yes, that's it for our award season. No, what it's have not. You got? <laughs> it's absolutely it not? not. No, oh, uh, the because yeah, oh my the locusts uh, have just announced uh, mm-hmm. the winners. So actually, one of the first times we're not just talking about nominees or stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, some really big names this year, and um, not necessarily the winners. Which, well, and we're not saying that big names write the best books. Just adds a. A nice bit of drama. Uh-huh. Um, so, science fiction novel went to Ancillary Sword by oh. Anne Leckie. She's just she's swiping everything, isn't she? She mm. is. Yes. Um, fantasy novel went to The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison. Wee wee. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, young adult book. Um, went to Joe Abercrombie with, with Half a King. Yay! So Half a King is the first in a series which Ed has already reviewed on this show a bit yes. ago. Um, but in a show coming up as well, Ed talks about Half a War, um, which is another one from from this season. series. Um, and But Joe Abercrombie also took the novelette with tough times all over. Um, so two two locusts for Joe Abercrombie, well, which is done. nice, especially uh, considering we're talking to him today. Yes, yeah, it, it might appear to be a genius piece of production. He's our interviewee today. Yes. <laughs> it's like planned. We, we did. No, we, totally, we knew. We totally knew. First novel went to The Memory Garden by um, Mary Rickett. Well, that sounds interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, as well as novelette, there's also the award for novella. Um I'm st- I'm not going to lie. I'm still not completely. It's word count. It's all yeah. Yeah. word count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, uh, but that w- but but, but the, the the good thing is that it rewards people who are probably at the start of their career, Absolutely. Yes. who are not yet at the point of being able to churn out a hundred thousand words in a because story. they just don't have the support to do it. Yeah, like, yeah. Also, but they've still got yeah. good ideas. Yes. Absolutely. Also, I, I and some stories are short. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not all stories have to be 50,000 words. Absolutely. Um, novella went to Yesterday's Kin by Nancy Cress. Um, that was also in that category was The Lightning Tree by Patrick Rothfuss. Mm. So that's like a, a quite exciting name mm-hmm. to, to get an award against. Uh, short story, The Truth About Owls by um, Amal El Motar. Um, anthology... Rogues, George R. R. Martin, really? and Gardner. I'm yeah. so shocked. <laughs> oh no, wait. <laughs> is it Gardner does what? Is that how you'd say that? Which I one? Think, uh, Gardner does. I'd say, I'd say does what. Does what? That's but what yeah. I would say. Yeah, oh. that's that's what I. I would say for. does what, but if it's does ois, then, then yeah, it could be us. does ois. Sorry. Uh, uh, collection went to Last Plane to Heaven. Um, Jane uh, Jay Lake. Uh, magazine tour dot com publisher tour mm. um against orbit as well i i i recently i've had a bit of a, a soft spot for orbit really? quite, yeah quite enjoying the things that they're producing mm-hmm. at the moment um and i've said before as well they're quite an interesting publisher to follow on facebook yeah. as well um and but not the winner so i'll stop talking about them <laughs> editor ellen datlow um artist went to john again i'd, I'd say like Picaccio. Picaccio. Yeah, that's what I'd go for. It's either Picaccio or Picasso. Yeah. <laughs> so either way, well Picaccio? done. Um, Picaccio? No, it's no. not Picaccio. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's just not. Picaccio. It's not. Um, but that was also against um, Charles Vess and Michael Wellen. Oh. Wow. Uh, non-fiction, What Makes This Book So Great by Joe Walton. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and art book, at Spectrum 21, The Best in Contemporary Fantasy Art uh, by John Flasks, who, who edited. Um, so some... Some Incredible really interesting names. stuff on there, and yeah, some some good names and, and good news. Yeah, and well I, I, I like I, I like to think that Ed is who apparently sat at home with his feet up. Shh. What shame on him mm. with, um, with uh, someone interesting yeah, that war- warrants not being him. Yeah. Uh, I can only hope, hope that he's sitting there going, "That's not how you pronounce that. That's not how you." Oh, pronounce he that. coming from him, he yeah, can't really talk. Precisely. He can't Let's say book. <laughs> he can't say book. Neither can I. What's your point? <laughs> I'm Italian. That's my excuse. <laughs> What's yours? Oh, uh, and then yeah, we do have another piece of <gasps> very exciting <laughs> news, and it's not it's not awards based. And it's I backseat this not. one. It's amazing. 
on okay. Friday. <laughs> on Friday. Turn some microphones down. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Levels. Uh, J.K. Rowling announced uh, the Harry Potter stage play is going to open in London's West End next year. Summer 2016. Oh it's playing at the Palace Theatre in London. Um, Friday was a beautiful day to release that because that is actually the 18th birthday of the first publication of Harry Potter. Oh. Which is, granted, terrifying. In it's certain terrifying. <laughs> terrifying that you know that. <laughs> it's, it's 18 years. And yet we haven't years. aged a day, Dad. No, I know. It's I'm amazing. still that wide-eyed 11-year-old girl. So excited. <laughs> to... Oh, God. I feel so old. Um, Shut the, up, both of you. The, <laughs> soz, uh, <laughs> the, the play is called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and it's telling the, mm. the untold part of Harry's story um, so uh, and yet somehow isn't a prequel how yeah, does that it's work? not a prequel but it's a kind of well untold part of the boy wizard story there's many there could be many untold oh, things but it does include um, the story of the lives of James and Lily which is really interesting so obviously yeah we do get an insight so, into yeah, that in the books but, fandom but squee we mainly oh my god see fandom squee yes we, we mainly see them through through Snape's eyes and really yeah and we kind of we only see them in relation to the drama that is currently occurring but that will not have been just what their lives were no um, exceptionally interesting obviously yes you've got the, the the question automatically asked of like why why isn't it another book um but she stands to her guns and she says when you see it you'll understand that this is the only medium this story can be told in which is a really wonderful thing Mm. Um, i've got a theater background and so i'm exceptionally excited that people are willing to actually say that that's nice Um, you've got to recognize haven't you that sometimes you know that the stories in the same world need to be told in a different medium absolutely. absolutely but it's the same thing as when you're looking at the movies and Yes, there are things missing from the books, but it's almost like you're seeing it from a different perspective mm. and it just adds to the whole experience. Yeah, it's a really exciting team as well. Um, the play is written as a collaboration between her and Jack Thorne. Um, Jack Thorne adapted Let the Right One In for oh. stage. So that's potentially already quite an interesting idea, especially when he's also one... Oh, I say... I'm assuming... Yeah, Jack. And all of a sudden then I just changed the name in my head and went, oh, is it a man? Um, I'm assuming Jack is a man. Sorry um, if I've if I've got that one wrong. Um, but Jack has also won BAFTA uh, a BAFTA for working on This Is England '88. Mm. So again, let the right one in. This is England '88. Not necessarily <laughs> to associate yes. with these. Um, thank you. That's that's helpful. <laughs> um, John Tiffany will be directing. It's being produced by Sonia Friedman and Colin Callender. Um, the music is being provided by uh, British singer Imogen Heap, mm. which again, interesting that there's music. Mm, well, I think, especially if you think the films, yeah, mm. the music, like you really, is it the third one where they didn't get the rights to the Harry Potter kind of, like kind of the theme song, like that song that you mm. you knew, like it didn't dun, it didn't dun, carry over, dun, and there's a dun, film that's not dun, got it. Dun. Yeah, it's that one. Yeah. How did um, they not have the rights to the music in their own there's films? Something, but there weren't there like big contract changes Ugh. in the third one or something? Like I can't. Yeah, there was. Yeah. The ins and outs of it is there is a fir- one of the films doesn't have that music, and it you do notice. And I think mu- music in a magical world, mm. music is such a quick way to create. Uh, a feeling or to create that sense of magic and uh, mystery and fun well, you, can, um, you can talk in, forever yeah. about the use of music to uh, yeah. to create moods and worlds and things well, I, just entire section of my now that I've done my I've been sensible and told you the sensible things <laughs> <laughs> I've been there for about 10 minutes I'm already, I'm already in the phone queue <laughs> yeah I can't Refreshing. even imagine how much that, that telephone will explode oh my do we think it'll sell out quicker than Glastonbury it will sell out quicker than anything. I just glass to be went in twenty six minutes this year. Oh, that'll I, go in about twenty six seconds. I just, I'm I'm already grieving for the fact that just sheer averages and law of numbers, I'm not getting tickets. Um, if someone's listening to the show and, and wants yeah, to send some across, <laughs> but, <laughs> but absolutely, well it's, it's really exciting. <laughs> tickets come out in the. F- in the uh, autumn. autumn, yeah. This autumn is all we're told is just this autumn. So but I'd I say can keep, see keep it having a very long run. Like it's gonna happen. Yeah, even even just on the pre-sales, the, there's going to be a need for. Yeah, for a I, long run. I hope that the cast and and the producers and everyone are ready to give 
people what they want because people yeah. will want to see it and they will demand it. They I will be camping outside. Nobody gets involved in a Harry Potter project unless they kind of understand the soul and things and I think we're going to see something really special. Really special. And on that squee note... Um, oh, can we talk about my thing? Can we talk about my thing? Can we talk about oh, my thing? Let's talk about your thing. What? Your thing, what? your thing. Well. What's your thing? Producer okay. Al is bringing news. I'm bringing news. That's shocking, isn't it? Shocking. Um, yes, so the... Um, video game slash interactive novel adaptation of the TV show of the book of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries <laughs> uh, which has been worked on by Tin Man Games um, friend of Ed of, of Bookworm Radio um, uh, yes uh, they're, they're doing a sort of online appy interactive novel thing um, yeah Dale's looking at me like what? yes um, you get to you get sort of beef flying and gallivant all over the world um, whilst solving crime uh, and being terribly glamorous um, and hunting for the guy who was the big baddie at the end of season one of the TV show. So it's going to be TV merging book and TV worlds there already. The TV shows just appeared on either Netflix or Love Film. I can't remember. Um, which one I believe seasons one and two have one. probably appeared on UK Netflix. I don't have access to UK Netflix, but I believe seasons one and two are on there, mm. um, and will also on be on US Netflix as well. Mm. So season three has just finished airing in Australia. It's going to be called Miss Fisher. Um, and the Deathly Maze, that sounds like a, a choosable path adventure and visual novel on like every format of computer thing you can get, pretty much. That sounds awesome. amazing. Um, but uh, I've been screaming like about that, that. In, roughly equivalent to your Harry Potter screen for like, the last two days. <laughs> so does that mean that pretty soon we're going to need to find a new producer for a few weeks? Because <laughs> it was going to be attached to the phone, yeah. <laughs> possibly. Producer Al, it's time for, 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 for the ads. Sp- no, 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 let me just finish this scene. <laughs> so on that note, I think um, a quick break and then uh, we'll be talking about Hexed by Michael Alan Nelson. Embrace the alternative. Welcome back to the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. I'm Nympha Hayes and this is our first review of the day. Um, I picked up an advanced reader's copy of Hexed by Michael Allen Nelson um, and um, it's called The Sisters of Witchdown and it's in the same world as um, the Hexed graphic novels comic series. So what's it about? Um, Lucy Jennifer Ignacio Desneves or Lucifer for sure <laughs> which is already like amazing um, she's a, a teenager um, but not your typical teenager she's actually a thief a very good thief and she steals bad things from bad people um, in the magical and mystical underworld hidden beneath our own so um, when a policeman approaches her um, to help find his lost daughter Gina um, she feels obliged to obviously help. Gina's actually been stolen by one of the witches of uh, Witchdown um, through a silly game of oh let's see who gets scared the most in this haunted house that all of the teenagers sort of dare each other to go in um, what is it so, teenagers and haunted houses? I know I right know. Um so Gina starts investigating and with the help of, of sorry, not Gina, Lucifer starts investigating with the help of Gina's friends and in particular Gina's boyfriend, David. Um, now, as it goes, um, there, there's, there's a lot that happens. It's quite a big adventure. Um, and the, the, main, the main thing is sort of Lucifer and her journey to, to find this girl and save her before the witches do whatever it is that they've stolen her to do. Um, so Lucifer's story is quite interesting. She's, she was um, born and sort of raised um, in the favelas in Brazil. Um, no sort of parents. She's very young when she gets saved. Um, and through a um, sequence of, of uh, occurrences, uh, which are not quite explained in the book, but th- there is a massive backstory, as I think, that um, gets sort of like explained more in the graphic novels. I haven't read them yet, but I am looking forward to picking that up as well. Mm. Um, she ends up being the heir of the Keeper of Secrets, also known as the Harlot with a, with a capital H. With a capital H. Capital H. And uh, she hates it. She's been branded. There's this 
sort of symbol on her back which looks like a tattoo oh, literally branded oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. She's, she, she has a symbol on her shoulder which looks like a h but really is, is a much more ancient symbol uh and and we sort of meet her as she's going into a a, a tattoo parlor slash clinic to see if they can remove this thing uh, off her back knowing full well there's no way that they can do anything because she knows that even though it shows on her skin the brand goes much much deeper and then Buck the policeman shows up at his home at her home sorry um, tells tells Lucifer all about his daughter and how um, he saw her being ripped away through a mirror by this thing I'm going to say that's not a good thing no no, no it's not so as I said, that the the the, the, the journey is, is is Lucifer trying to find out what happened to Gina and how. And there's a book um that that gets mentioned very early on. Um so she goes and speaks to her friends. There's there's some really funny, humorous um exorcisms that happen involving a, a teddy bear bunny oh. uh, it's just why um, do you need to exercise a teddy no, bear no you need to exercise the owner of the bunny uh, and, and trap the demon in the bunny uh, oh so oh, it, there's so <laughs> many little things in this book that just made me giggle and and I think I picked it up mostly because hey it says you know if you're a fan of Buffy you'll love this and I was like awesome. give it to me yeah. what is this and actually a very young very 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 young even younger than Buffy because I think Lucifer at this point is about 14, 15 uh. um, that, that's exactly what it came to mind as I was reading it only she has a lot more to deal with than even poor Buffy has. Yeah, and if it, by the sounds of it as well, like Lucifer has always kind of had this connection to this world. If you think like Buffy was sixteen, she didn't know. No, she about had the no idea. She she, she kind of with Lucifer. The difference is she she goes into it at such a young age, and then becomes the heir of the keeper of secrets. And I mean, you you the name tells you everything. Mm. This woman knows everything. Her mind is full of everything that goes on in the world so she's completely insane like yeah. completely batshit crazy can we say batshit I've said it I've said it twice <laughs> said it now. several times now it's fine it's fine <laughs> forgive me but yes yeah, so through no. the way poor Lucifer who's never sort of had friends gets to sort of almost be a part of this world where you know boys and hair and nails and and school are are an everyday thing where for us for for her this is not part of her life at all and never is never has been and never will be she knows this because of what she does uh, but what she does she does very well and so there's um a lot of adventures that involve meeting witches and almost drowning and stealing precious artifacts from art galleries mm. and witch hounds and all sorts of exciting a, monsters. A lot of things to get into oh, a book. Oh, goodness. Yeah, there's something like a lot of plot here. Yeah. It's, How it's, long is this book? I was going to say, because looking at it, it's, it's not giant. It's actually um, 275 pages. That's not much. No. It's really not. Is the text very what small? Is, no. <laughs> not particularly. Like the ma the margins font. aren't very big. No, no, they're not. No, no. Uh, but I found actually, the margins on this book to be a little bit too big. It's, it, that's only it's not even the whole of the plot I mean the plot the main plot line is her needing to get to Witchdown to save this girl um, but throughout the journey you find out a lot about her a lot about her backstory a lot about her dreams and hopes and the things that she knows she will never have her in interpersonal relationship with the harlot the world um, and others Um and it was really interesting. It's so much. It's like a really big adventure. It's almost like half a season of Buffy condensed in one book. Mm. Uh, but it has a, a, a lovely, strong world building, a nice heroine that you can totally just want to root for. And she's she's kick-ass, but, but she's also vulnerable. And she's a bit like Buffy. She mm. really is. But she has her own style and sort of her own sort of brand of power if you like she's not particularly overpowered she's just really clever 
Yeah, I think there's something really wonderful about worlds, like magical stories where it's based in our world and there is a secret part of our world that just normal people don't know about or get to access. Yeah, because I think deep down, we all hope that that's what what is happening, that, that, that this is our world, but there's there's magic underneath absolutely um but yes um alternate dimensions monsters um really strong female character lots of interesting interactions mega mega plot really good book i really enjoyed it it took my mind off everything just a few hours of just sitting there and leaving this story with this young girl um i absolutely recommend it in fact i liked it so much that i'm going to have to buy the graphic novel i think volume one is coming out um like literally in the next couple of months um and the book should be out if it's not already out should be out by next month as well so keep an eye out this is hexed by michael allen nelson uh it's published by peer science fiction and fantasy an imprint of prometheus books so definitely pick it up FabRadioInternational.com So here's Ed's interview with award-winning author Joe Abercrombie. Enjoy. This is Fab Radio International. Joe Abercrombie, welcome to the Bookworm. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. So what's happening with the Shattered Sea series? What is happening? Well, there was the first book, Half the King... Uh, came out last July. Uh, The second book, Half the World, was out in February, and the third and final book, Half a War, will be out this July. Yeah. Tell us more about Half a War, please. Well, war is a theme, as you might imagine. Um, The Shattered Sea is ruled by a high king, or more specifically by his ruthless minister, Grandmother Wexen, and she is pushed and manoeuvred the various nations around the sea into a position where they have no choice but to go to war, I suppose one might say. And so Getland and their ally and once rival Vansterland are threatened by uh, a wide confederation of the High King and various of his allies. And uh, Father Yavi is uh, faced with the task of trying to bring some allies together to... uh, succeed against this impossible odds. Each book so far has followed the story from the point of view of a different character. Why is that? I think um, I like that breadth and I like the having different characters and different threads to follow within a fantasy book, but the idea with these books was to be quite tight in the focus, to be quite short and fast and to have the, the pace of a thriller, if you like, to try and do epic fantasy with a a driving forward pace. And so rather than splitting each book into many different threads following different characters, I thought it would be interesting to start from one character's point of view only, then to bring in two different characters in the second book, and then Half a War has has three kind of interrelating plot lines, although the characters in the previous books are still very much there in the background. I think it also gave me the opportunity to move time forward between each book, but to keep the protagonists in that age range of, of 16 to 18 that I was aiming for. So I think changing the characters just gives a different tone and a different flavour to each book, keeps things interesting and varied, and I think it also allows us to see the characters we knew very well in previous books from the outside, and that's an interesting an interesting device. It gives the reader the sense of kind of some inside knowledge about some of the, the characters we're seeing from the outside now. Did you know how each story would end for each character? I think up to a point. I mean, certainly the three books, Yavi's the central character of the first book and then he's more in the background than the other two, but it, it, the arc of the three together is very much a story about him. So that that arc was very much set from the start and I had a good idea where that was going. Um, the individual characters who then are introduced during the books, I didn't necessarily have a precise idea at the start of the series where they would all end up. I had a rough idea what the the overall backstory, the main story would be. And so 
they fitted into that that bigger story but to a degree i've kind of worked out each book at a time and to some degree each part of each book so i tend to have a rough idea what a book will be and then i'll plan each part of the book as i come to start writing it and so as i go through a book i'll get a better and better idea of of where i'm going and it's really in the revision once i've finished the first draft of a book that i really strip it down to a a focused plot and get a good idea of what the characters are going to be so I like there to be some element of development. I like to find out where I'm going a little bit as I go, but it's good to have a, a guiding overall direction and a plan because you can always change your mind halfway through. But if you start with no plan, I find that you can easily wander off into nowhere and it's very hard to find your way back. Your first law work is very dark. Why did you decide to go for a young adult book next? Well, this series, I guess, developed out of a conversation I had with a guy called Nick Lake, who's, a, who's a, uh, an editor of young adult books at HarperCollins. A few years back, he, he liked my adult stuff, was interested in, in getting me to write some young adult books. And that idea hung around with me, stuck with me a while. It took a few years for me to have the time and the idea, really, for something that would work. Uh, but it seemed to me that writing something for a younger reader, partly for a younger reader, um, and also writing something tighter and more focused might work well together in a new kind of world. I'm a big, I'm very interested in Vikings and in the Viking world, so that seemed to be a good inspiration for the setting. Um, and I think in writing for younger readers, I, I, I wasn't trying to get into a particular category so much. I was really trying to write the kind of book I would have liked and read at that age, 14 to 16, which is substantially very much the same kind of book I write as an adult. So I wanted it to have the same edge and the same kind of moral ambiguity. I wanted it to be challenging. I didn't want it to talk down to the audience at all. At the same time, I'd written very bloody, gritty, dark and nasty stuff in my adult work. And I didn't necessarily want to repeat that exact style. Uh, I wanted it to feel distinct and different as a world. And so... Those ideas all kind of came together, writing partly for younger readers, but not turning off a wider adult audience, writing something shorter, tighter, and more focused, and writing something with a slightly Dark Ages, Viking saga sort of style to it. And they came together and were the influences in developing the style, I guess. What's next? Good question. There's always something, isn't there? Um, Writing-wise, I mean, well, this this. Half, half a war will come out in July, so I'll be touring and doing a lot of events for that over the next couple of months. Um, Writing-wise, I've got a collection of short stories in the first law world that I'm just finishing up and will probably come out sometime next year, I would think. Um, and then it's looking probably like it'll be more uh, adult books in the first law world. I've got a trilogy um that I owe to Galance, and so at some point I need to uh, get started on that. I've already some ideas, but pretty vague at the moment. And there are a few other irons lurking in the fire that might end up taking up some time, as there always are. Which of your books would you like to see adapted into a television series? Um, well, I mean, would, would I like to see them turned into a television series with the, the depth and uh, success of something like Game of Thrones? Yeah. I think that's not a tough one to say yes to. Um, you obviously, it, it gives a huge boost to the to the books as well, and that can be no bad thing. Um, I'd like to see any of my stuff adapted. I think that would be, be hugely exciting. Of course, things aren't always adapted well. There's a degree of trusting to luck with these things. You can't really control what happens once you sell rights. You can try and sell rights to the right person. You can hope that the right people get involved and that have the respect for what you're doing, but it's an ensemble effort, producing a film or a TV show in a way that writing a book never is. You'll never have that control that you have over a book, and so you have to just accept that's the nature of the beast and slightly roll the dice and, and trust the luck. But I, I'd love anything that uh, made the books become stratospherically successful and enabled me to have a toilet seat carved in a single massive diamond. You're known as Lord Grimdark on Twitter and on the internet, and it seems to be a subgenre of fantasy these days. Why have we gone to the dark side? Well, I, you know, I think uh, 
you know, the grim, the grim dark thing is something that's happened long after the fact. For me, I mean, I've only really, I heard it used kind of maybe four or five years ago, the oldest to kind of describe something that was ridiculously and and over the top, uh, absurdly pessimistic and bloody and kind of almost laughable, which is why I took the name because it seemed funny more than anything. But of course, recently people have started using it to describe, you know, a style of fantasy that they really enjoy and they're lumping all kinds of things in like, like Game of Thrones as being grimdark and it's become a much more general descriptor i mean i never really set out to be one thing or another i just wanted to write my take on fantasy i suppose influenced by the things that i like and enjoy and because i'd read a lot of very shiny optimistic heroic fantasy i wanted to do something different i felt the lack of kind of grit and darkness in it that i found in thrillers and westerns and so you know when i wrote fantasy myself i think without particularly thinking about it i ended up writing something cd something gritty, something that focused on the people in the trenches, uh, something that was quite pessimistic, quite cynical, quite dark. Um, and that, I think, was an interesting uh, contrast with a lot of what I'd read before and, and, and quite a lot of what was out there, what was the prevailing tone at the time. I think as Grimdark, if you like, has become more popular and more accepted and more uh, recognised, it loses some of its impact, undoubtedly. And so I think any decent book has got to have, you know, light and shadow. It's got to have different shades in it um, because people are hugely varied. Humanity is, is strange and varied and has all kinds of people in it. So you would hate to become predictable for doing one kind of thing. You'd hate to be predictable for being endlessly bloody and dark and shocking and horrible, just as you'd hate to be predictable for being endlessly shiny and heroic and false so i think you know it's important to try different things and different styles and keep people guessing is an understanding of history key for a fantasy writer well i think um one of the great things about fantasy is you don't have to be too slavishly linked to a certain period you can take all kinds of influences and inspiration from all kinds of different eras so in writing a book like the heroes which is the story of a single battle, I guess I was drawing on all kinds of eras of, of warfare. You know, it's a, so the technology is, is medieval or is Renaissance, but the organization and the politics are reminiscent of something much later, and the scale of the battle and the terrain is more like something from the American Civil War. I suppose I'm fascinated myself by industrialization and the way that society changes and develops. I think sometimes in fantasy we get these very static worlds, these sandbox medieval worlds that don't seem to have really changed, that don't have those forces of technology and economic growth that have really always been the driving forces in our own society and our own wars and conflicts. So I like a world that feels like it's developing. I'd like to move technology forward a bit into maybe the era of the early industrial. Um, I certainly find that era fascinating. and I think it's ground that's not often covered in fantasy. Simpsons or Futurama? I think Simpsons for me. Consistently funnier. Dragons or spaceships? Oh, dragons what? Yeah, dragons all the way. And finally, truth or beauty? Every man has his own truth. Let's go with truth in the end. Let's go with truth. Joe Abercrombie, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. So that was a really wonderful interview with um, Joe Abercrombie, which Ed is reviewing Half a War. Um, on a pre-record we did a couple of weeks ago, so that'll be out in the next few weeks. Um, bit of a spoiler, you really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> That's shocking. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> Um, but today I'm talking to you about uh, The Magician's Guild by Trudy Canavan, um, published by Orbit. So as I've already said today, quite quite like Orbit. Um, the Magician's Guild is not a new book. 
it's uh, from 2001. It's the first in a trilogy. The uh, oh my goodness, as if I've forgotten the Black Magician trilogy. Mm-hmm. I want to say yeah. Um, so the Black Magician trilogy is made up of the Magicians Guild, uh, which came out in 2001. The Novice came out in 2002. The High Lord came out in 2003. But then in 2009, Trudy Canavan revisited and she wrote a prequel called um, The Magician's Apprentice. Um, and then from then in 2010, she also then created a sequel trilogy. Yes. Um, the the Traitor Spy trilogy. So trilogies, trilogies um, everywhere. I know oh. 2001 is a really long time ago. It is though, isn't it? It is. Mm-hmm. It's like four, 14 years yeah. old, this book is. But I still I I wanted to... I remember picking it up. It's t- t- oh. Yeah, it's just, it feels like it's it's been in bookshops just yeah. for so... like And I like you see it all the time. And I, I kind of... One of the reasons why I wanted to review it, despite the fact that it's really old, is because it very much still stands up. Oh, yeah. Um, I think 2001 was a really interesting time for fantasy, and it does sort of fit into that kind of David Gemmell world, because obviously that was that was the kind of, I'd, I'd say, the focus of, yeah. of fantasy at that time. Um, but even now, like because yeah, over the last few years, there has been a massive change in fantasy and what we expect from stories. Um and it's still a good story. It's still well done, and it absolutely, it absolutely still stands up against um, modern fantasy writing. And I think it still should be of interest to people. So it's just nice to re-remind people of, of certain books. Um, the Magicians Guild, which is, as I said, the first in the trilogy, tells the story of. And I'm actually one of the things I'm going to say before I even start is one of the things that I like about this book and these sorts of, of fantasy books where there is. Trudy has created a completely new world. Mm-hmm. It's a magical world, so it's not our world. It's not rooted in anything we know. Um, words are therefore different and interesting, and I'm allowed to say them how I want to say them. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is I don't have to apologise if the yeah. author or anyone else pronounce them a different way because yeah. they probably don't know themselves. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming, yeah, the author, I'd probably listen to the author, but I think one of the interesting things with these stories is that we're allowed to all say things differently. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, the Magicians Guild tells the story of uh, the, the the capital city of uh, Coralia, as mm-hmm. I say, um, which is Imardin. Every winter, uh, there is the tradition in Imardin of purging the streets of the city, and the magicians start in the middle and they sweep out and they push all the outer city people who are called dwells which i quite like um and the the dwells live in the sum uh, the slums outside of the city um but they put up these shields and they push the dwells out of the city and it's a big thing every year and every year the dwells descend to try and show their descent and get angry um and this is where we meet sonia i say sonia it could be sonia i think it's it's up to you um i call it sonia yeah Um, Sonia has gone to the city because the the boarding house that her and her aunt and uncle live in is about to be destroyed and she's gone to appeal the decision. While there, she meets her old kind of gang of miscreants that she used to hang out with when she was a little girl where they go up to mischief and petty crime. Um, and she's trying to get away from them, but funnily enough, it's the purge. You kind of have to follow the masses. And they start throwing rocks at the shield that the magicians are putting up because they just want someone to see that they are angry and that it's not okay um and the rage gets to her because obviously it's quite it's not a nice situation just being told that just because of your upbringing you are not allowed in a place near the elite people um so she picks up a rock and the rage takes her she throws her rock at the shield and just in that blind rage you know you can't make a difference but you're just hoping and you are willing that that rock will just go through the shield and it will make a difference and hers does and it hits a magician in the head he falls down and he does not get up um he doesn't die but obviously that's quite a shocking thing because how does a normal person get a rock to go through ah. a magical shield ah, how ah, does it? ah. <laughs> Um, another magician runs over to help this magician up and when he does so he looks into the crowd and he locks eyes with Sonia for a few seconds and she runs because obviously you don't hurt magicians and especially dwells do not hurt magicians Um, magicians in this world are one step down from the king pretty much really Um, like all the magicians are referred to as Lord something which Mm -hmm. I really like like we've got Lord Rothen we've got Lord uh, Daniel uh, Lord Fergan um, and yeah she 
she runs she's with her gang they don't know what's happened she doesn't know what's happened but they all know that this girl is in a lot of trouble and they make the decision that they are going to hide her and keep her safe um but the magicians are scared because how does a dwell have magic like magic is something that rich people learn and they just want to find her Mm. and you you get to see both both parts of the story which is nice you see the dwells and their fear and this gang trying to look after her but you see the politics and the the misdeeds and the manipulations in the magical circles as well and the way that the elite live and i think it's really balanced it's really nice and it's definitely definitely worth picking up because it's one of those books that you will always have seen when you've been in bookshops but you maybe just didn't pick up or it's just on your list um take it off your list because it should be in your hand mm-hmm. um, definitely definitely get on these books yeah. lovely world and believable and i care about every single person Yay. and you don't come across that very often it's very true yeah. I, I i've read the whole of the original trilogy and i've read the prequel and and and, and the sequel as well and it's just amazing because in the first trilogy you learn so much about the world and yet as you explore, especially in the sequel box, it kind of explodes in your face how little you actually knew about it. Mm. How obviously your view was sort of around just Sonia's, that story, exactly, isn't it? Yeah, around Sonia's own experience and and most of her experiences within a certain circle. But there is just so much more out there. Um, but yeah, you do care. That's that's something mm. that even after I read it, you know, twelve years ago now. Uh, probably um, and I still remember the characters you said yeah. Lord Daniel and I smiled and yeah. then there's this, this just it's that, that kind of book that you sort of take with you and for me it was one of those that every time I read a fantasy book of that sort of calibre mm. I just kind of find myself comparing it and if it stands to be compared to that I know I've just read another good book yeah amazing Mm-hmm. So, um, quick break and then I think we'll be saying our goodbyes. Yeah, saying our goodbyes. This is Fab Radio International. Starburst Radio, the greatest radio show in the universe. Every Wednesday, 9pm to 11pm. Exclusive to Fab Radio International. So this has been the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. Tweet us on Twitter, Radio Bookworm. Facebook us <laughs> with a big book on Facebook <laughs> on Radio Bookworm. <laughs> we are on Tumblr. We're, you can send us an owl. You can send us a raven. Just, just you know, get in touch. We love it. And this if you've missed the show today, you can listen again on Mixcloud or iTunes. Absolutely. In fact, subscribe because you don't really want to miss it. Um, I've been your hostess, Nympha Hayes. And I've been Del. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Nympha Hayes and Rebecca Derrick. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>